Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, good morning. How are we? Good. Good to see you. Y'all doing okay over here? Yeah, sure. Okay. Okay, just checking. Just checking. You got a Bible? Good. You may want to open it to First uh, Kings 19. You know, we, we use those things around here, our Bibles. You can turn it on or light it up or open it up or whatever it is you do to get into the Word of God. Um, but it is a, uh, a pathway for us to, uh, to find life. Um, it is the authority, the ultimate authority for all that we seek to do around here, and I uh, hope you will let it become that for, for your life. Um, as I have prayed this week about this message, I, I had a couple of people over the last couple of weeks, um, just in, in connections in different pathways, uh, talk about some discouragement that they face, some of the, some pretty intense disappointments, and uh, that has led some to, to just kind of battle some seasons of depression and things like that. And as I've prayed, I, I, for this message, one of the things that I hoped is that we would all come to realize that discouragement and disappointment, um, significant discouragement and dif- disappointment, are, are not strangers to the lives of very devoted followers of, of the Lord. And as we look to God's Word this morning, my desire is that the Holy Spirit would minister to you in your discouragements, in your, in your disappointments, maybe even in places of despair that may have crept in because of those, but that you would also recognize that even in your afflictions, God is at work removing seductions from your life, things that have seduced you, idols that may have formed in your life. And uh, one of the things I would encourage you to, to think about as we walk through this is never discount God's commitment to destroy idols in your heart because he, he's going he's gonna to do this. But I also want you to not miss in what we look at today is God's fatherly, tender care for you, even when it seems like it's missing, even when it's hard to spot, he's at work doing that. And I, I'm praying that the events that we look at today in the life of a man by the name of Elijah, who had at times a very, very hard life, um, that you'll see some things that will connect with maybe a season you've been through, or maybe uh, this is going to be for you to encourage somebody else who may be stuck in deep disappointment or discouragement right now. And Elijah, one of the things that I, I love about Elijah is how relatable he is. Uh, and Jesus' half-brother James in his great epistle, that letter that James wrote, he reminds us something about the prophet Elijah. He says this in John, James five seventeen. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like our own. That's ESV translation. I like the way the Amplified translates it. It says, Elijah was a human being with a nature such as we have with feelings, affections, 
and a constitution like ours. And I think when we're done today, hopefully you'll see this is the truth about Elijah through the word of the Lord. And so I also want to kind of give you a big idea for the day so that as we're moving through this, you'll be, be able to kind of hone in on what, what I'm trying to focus on today. And so this is kind of the big idea. If I run after the dream... That's what my life becomes about, running after the dream. I'll find discouragement, disappointment, and maybe ultimately despair. But if I will walk with the dream maker, the dream giver, the giver, the giver of life, God himself, if I walk with him, I'll find deliverance and delight. And I pray you see how that unfolds in the life of Elijah. As we read from God's word, starting in chapter 19, and we're going to begin in verse 1. And we're going to read a a fairly long passage this morning, so kind of try to stick with the, the story. Ahab, and he's the king of northern tribe of Israel, Ahab, King Ahab told his queen Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do more do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of those of them by this time tomorrow. Referring to those prophets of Baal that Elijah had killed. Then he was afraid, speaking of Elijah, and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Remember that phrase, I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank. And lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank. And he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Verse 9. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in that wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. And he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenants, throw down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, 
And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nishmi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, you shall anoint to be uh, prophet. Uh, excuse me, the son of Shaphat, Abel Moah, shall be, uh, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he, verse 19, so he, being Elijah, departed from there. This is the word of, of the Lord. Now, I, as preparing this message, one of the things that I did on a couple of occasions, when I just, I sat and looked out the window and imagined your faces. Just some of your faces. Just thought of some of you and, and, and your lives. And one of the things that I wondered about for you was, what are your great disappointments? What, what things have you faced that have brought great discouragement? What, what may be unfulfilled dreams or unsatisfied plans or yearnings or desires do you have? What, what are the hopes and, and treasures maybe that you've never obtained yet? Or what are the things that you once had that maybe have been have been taken away. What, what do those look like? And I, I didn't, as I was thinking about some of you, I, di I didn't think, well, wonder if they have these struggles. Everybody does. You, you live on this broken planet. You're going to have those kinds of struggles. Now, some will be, for some, so great they don't feel like they can bear it. Others may be less so. But we all have them in a fallen world. All of us face those moments in our lives. And so the question is what do you do with them when, when, they, when they come? How do you respond to them? And Elijah has something to teach us here. He has personally been my mentor in those questions. I don't know if you ever thought, you know, that, that growing in grace and being faithful in the Christian life would somehow spare you from disappointment and discouragement, from crushing heartbreak or unfulfilled yearnings. Friends, it doesn't. And Jesus never promised us that it, 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 it would, that we'd be spared those things. Jesus told us we'd, we'd have turmoil in this life. We'd have tribulations. And some of the greatest men and women of faith that I have been privileged to walk personally with have also been some of those people who have just had some of the greatest struggles, greatest disappointments. And so Elijah has much to teach us here. And so here's the first thing that I learned from the life of Elijah, especially out of chapter 19. And it's this, even in the greatest of God's people, they can be overwhelmed by discouragement. Even the greatest of God's people can be overwhelmed by discouragement. Now, Elijah shows us in our discouragement that we can be tempted to forget that God is God and that he is always good. Elijah shows us in our discouragement uh, how we can be tempted even into idolatry in, in his own life. Because we think, you know, when we find our place in, in uh, our lives in that kind of place of discouragement and disappointment, we think, start to think something's being 
withheld with us, from us. That something, there's something better that, you know, that God's withholding from us or that God's withholding himself, uh, you know, or that God, God's not fulfilling his purposes for my life. And Elijah has something to teach us here. But here's what most of us don't want to do. Most of us do not want to live in chapter 19. We want to be chapter 18 people. If you're not familiar with chapter 18, you may want to go read it today. Chapter 18 is the pinnacle of his ministry experience. It is, it is this great, incredible moment in, in his life. We all want to live in 1 Kings 18. That's, that's where we want to be, that mountaintop experience where uh, used by God, Jeremiah defeats all these prophets. You know, it's just incredible. And, and, and if maybe we can't have chapter 18, we'd at least like chapter 21, you know, where, where he stands boldly up and once again faces the, this w- wicked King Ahab and his evil Queen Jezebel and he stands and he speaks truth to power. We, you know, we wanna, we'd rather be there. But none of us want to be in, in, in chapter 19. That, that's not w- where we want to be. But truthfully, we all get there. We all end up there somewhere in our lives. So I want us to look a little deep into Elijah's d- discouragement to see how, how we get there. But more importantly than looking at the discouragement, I want you to see the greatness and the goodness and the kindness, the kindness of God. Even in his discouragement, even in the midst of what at this point in Elijah's life would be clinical depression. He was just, he had bottomed out. Now, you may recall chapter 18 ends, uh, Elijah has won this great battle, this victory on top of Mount Carmel. I've had the privilege of standing on top of Mount Carmel. It is spectacular. It overlooks the Megiddo Valley. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful place. And God, through Elijah, there was this great battle there uh, between God and Elijah and these 850 prophets of Baal and, and prophets of the Asherah. And, uh, and in it, Elijah won this great battle proving that the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that the Lord God is the only God, not the false Baals. And then Elijah leaves Mount Carmel and he goes to Jezreel to wait and see what's going to happen next. He's, he's actually excited. He's, he's anticipating something great happening. But he ends up being stunned. He, he's just shocked. And Jezebel, the wicked queen of Ahab, sends a messenger to Elijah. And when the messenger reads the words of the queen, they're basically this, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. What happened to all the prophets that that I kind of hung out with, what happened to all of them is going to happen to you. And Elijah responds to that statement by fleeing. So he heads south. And he didn't just go a little bit south. Now he's in the northern kingdom of Israel. So he flees all the way out of the northern kingdom of Israel into the southern kingdom of Judah. But that's not far south enough. So he flees all the way through that southern tribe's area, territory. He flees south of that into a desert wilderness. And eventually God brings him further south to a mountain range where Mount Sinai is. 
And there he meets God. See, he, he ends up fleeing to the place where God met with his people and gave the Ten Commandments at that time. And this, this is significant that this was uh, kind of running back to the days of Moses, if you would. Because in the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah are the preeminent prophets of Israel. They're kind of like the bookends, and all the other prophets kind of fit within them. They were, they were, if you want to think of power brokers of prophets in Israel, these were the two go-to kind of guys. And Elijah has been used of God to work more miracles than any other Old Testament prophet other than Moses. And so this is who this man is. And he is now fleeing. He's fleeing. And you see this great disappointment. You see out of this why he's fleeing. Now, let me, let me quickly say something. God's word said that he left out of fear. But please understand this. There, there, there are some people that I think get the impression, oh my goodness, what a coward. Elijah was nobody's coward. He was a lot of things, but he was not a coward. He had just stared down 850 prophets of false gods by himself. Him and God. That was it. He stared him down. And over in chapter 21, he's going to come back and he's going to get right up all in the face, up in their grill of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And he's going to give them the what for. He's going to speak truth to power. He is no coward. The fear that has gripped his heart comes from some other source. And I believe it comes from the despair of his disappointment. And I want you to see that. I want you to see how great his, his disappointment is. We'll dive into that. But he, 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 he flees. That's kind of his first expression of disappointment, this, this fleeing. The second expression of his great disappointment is on two occasions he says, Lord, just let me die. Just, just, let, me, just let me die. In verse 4, he, we, we read this of 1 Kings 19. And he asked that he might die. Saying, it is enough now, O oh Lord, take away my life. He just says, I, I, I want to die. He's so deeply disappointed into despair that he wants to die. We read that as, as he was fleeing south, when he gets to Judah, he leaves his servant behind. Because he doesn't think he's coming back. He thinks this is, this is it. it. It's done. So I'm going to leave him, you know, among my people. That's how discouraged he is at, at this point. He thought he was going into the wilderness to, to die. And there's another kind of expression of how great his disappointment is, I think. We can see this even when he's on the mountain. Even after God has, has drawn him there. Because on the mountain, you'll remember, we read it a moment ago, that after God, the, after, after the violent earthquake and the, the, the whirlwind and the fire... And then there's that still small voice that tells us that he, he stepped out of the cave onto the mountain. But he wrapped his mantle around his head. You know, it's kind of hard to see with something wrapped around your face like that. You know, he still was not fully engaged. He still wasn't fully present in this encounter. Now, I don't know if you remember, on, on this same mountain range before when, when Moses was on Mount Sinai... God had given him the law, and Moses asked this question of God. He said, God, could I see you? Could I see your glory? Could, could I see your, 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 your greatness? And God said, well, yeah, but I'm going to have to hide you. You're not going to be able to look on. He didn't tell Elijah that. 
He didn't tell Elijah not to look. Elijah just, he, he, he kind of pulls himself back. He wraps his head in, in this mantle. And I think it's because of his great discouragement. And see, what this, again, what this teaches me is that even the greatest of God's people can get to a place where they're overwhelmed by discouragement. Even people who believe deeply in the sovereign of God, sovereignty of God. And I believe that most everyone here, most of you are, are those kinds of people. You believe deeply in the sovereignty of God. But truthfully, we can all find ourselves in circumstances where we forget what we believe. Where it, it kind of, in, in our deep discouragement. Now, what's the source of Elijah's discouragement. Now, to, to really get at that, we do have to back up into chapter 18. And again, I would encourage you to go home later today and read that. It's a great, just powerful storyline chapter. Elijah has won a great victory on Mount Carmel. And here's what he does. At the end of that great victory, the Bible tells us, it, it talks about him girding up his robe. Um, basically, what he did was he just pulled his robe up, tied it off, so he's got running shorts now. Okay, so now he's, he's, he's going to run to Jezreel. And the Bible tells us that in, in chapter 18 that he outran King Ahab's chariot back to Jezreel. Okay, horse pulled chariot, he's outrunning back to Jezreel. Now, why, why go to Jezreel? Just some significant things about Jezreel. Jezreel is next to Mount Gilboa. Mount Gilboa is the mountain on which King Saul died, where King Saul was killed um, years before. And uh, it's also Jezreel is the place where Ahab has set up his kingdom. His palace is there. His wicked queen Jezebel is there. Um, Jezreel basically at this time becomes kind of the capital city. Now, he's just had this great experience, this great battle on Mount Carmel, this great spiritual fight that, that, that he's seen God come down in powerful ways. And now he takes off heading for what would be thought of as the capital of, you know, the enemy in so many ways. He's, he's running there. Why do you think he's doing that? This is Joe Think here. Can't prove it, but this is Joe Think, okay? I think he was going there. Because he wanted to be in the capital when national revival broke out. I think Elijah thought his whole ministry had led up to this one moment on Mount Carmel. And now it is about to be fulfilled. Finally, the nation of Israel is going to turn its back on these false prophets, these false gods. They're going to return to the true and living God. They're going to worship him. And he wants to be in the center of that when it happens. So he heads to the capital city. And while he's there, a messenger shows up. And it's a messenger from Queen Jezebel. And again, can't prove this. I just wonder, I wonder... When the messenger showed up for Queen Jezebel, what did he think first before the messenger read the note? Did he think, oh my word, this is it. Even that wicked Queen Jezebel, she's about to repent. This is going to be good. She's going to get converted. Woo-wah! And then the messenger reads the note. And his world falls apart. And he is crushed. Because he realizes 
that everything he had thought about where his ministry was heading and what God was about to do crush is just crushed. The national revival that he wanted to see happen is not going to happen. In fact, there is now a bounty on his head. And so, in his disappointment, he, he flees. He had longed for this to happen. Now, grab hold of this. This longing in his heart is for a good thing. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you think that having a national revival would be a good thing? People returning back to God. We, we pray for that regularly here for our own nation. That our nation would turn back to the Lord. It, it's a good thing. But friends, sometimes even a good thing can become an idol in our hearts. It can become an idol in our hearts. You can want something wonderful to happen so deeply that you forget about the one who gives goodness, who brings what's good into the world. See, Elijah wanted God to use his faithfulness to bring about a great revival in the northern kingdom. And Elijah just saw the Lord do the most spectacular miracle he had ever seen. Fire came down from heaven, man. It was crazy. And Elijah is absolutely convinced this is it. This is what I've been doing ministry so hard for. This is why I've been serving God. This is why I've been living so faithfully to this dream. And now it's just, it's crushed. Why? Because he's overwhelmed by the discouragement of not having his hope realized. Let me just point out something here. See, Elijah's whole, his whole message to the nation has been the Lord, God, He's one, there's only one, and he's in charge. He, he is, he, he's, he's the God that's in charge of the whole universe. And what happened in this moment is Elijah forgot his own message. He forgot his, his very own message. Elijah forgets that he doesn't get to choose how God is going to use what happens on Mount Carmel. He thinks he does, but his job, Elijah's job was just simply to be the servant of God, the messenger of God, not the decider of plans. It's not for him to plan the outcomes. So often what gets us in trouble and disappointment and discouragement that leads to despair is we want to control the outcomes, and we can't. We, we, we just can't. And so Elijah has gotten discouraged because he has forgotten his message. But here's the other thing. Elijah had really even forgotten his name. In this moment, he lost his identity. You know what the name Elijah means? It's kind of broken into three parts. The first part of Elijah's name is El. And that's the generic Hebrew name for God. One of the ways it's translated often in the Bible, that, that Hebrew word El is God. The next, if you add that I to it, um, there's, in the Bible, there's the, the name Eli. That's the possessive form of El, which means my God. And if you notice how uh, his name ends, it's Yah. And you, that is the derivative of Yahweh. And so, Elijah's name literally means my God is Yah. My God is the true God. My God is, is, is Yahweh. He's the living God. That was, that, was, that was his name. That was his identity. 
He has forgotten his message and he has forgotten his own identity. And so often, we as Christ followers, we forget that our identity is in Christ alone. It's just simply in Jesus. It's not in our behavior. It's not in the outcomes. It's in who Jesus says we are. And Elijah had forgotten his message and he has forgotten his identity. This is where he is. And that's why he is so, he so quickly is able to spit out you know, he's able to identify his d- disappointment. Did you notice that? In, in verses 10 and 14, he repeats it. I mean, identically repeats it. He says, here's, here's what my disappointment is. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. I mean, he, he, he spits that out because he's been rehearsing it. He knows it. It has just sank deeply into his soul. This is why I'm, I'm discouraged. He pours it out. And, and the, the, Lord, the Lord is going to speak in that. This is what he wanted, and it didn't happen. Lord, allowed, you allowed me to do these miracles, some of the greatest miracles since Moses. No one. And not even any of my forefathers have, have, have been used by you to, to see these great things. And now I'm no better than them. My ministry doesn't matter. I'm, I'm no better than them. In fact, I'm not as good as they are because you did more miracles for me and I couldn't convince the people to, to turn. I'm just such an utter failure. Just let me die. I mean, that's, that's where he's at. Now, here's, here's what's ironic to me about this. Elijah's whole battle had been battling the people of God because they had built false idols, false gods. They were neck deep in idolatry. And what happened to Elijah was He was so busy focusing on that and not focusing on God that an idol had erected in his own heart. It was his ministry. He he had a a vision and an expectation and he had a plan he wanted to work, work out. And he's tried to be so loyal to God. He wants his ministry to go a certain way and it hasn't happened. Friends, that can happen to any of us. We can have what we believe is a direction from God for our lives. We can be heading in that direction, and then it doesn't happen. It doesn't come about the way we, you know, and in the quietness of your heart, you just begin to say, is this it? It's not, it's not the way I had imagined it, Lord. I thought it was going to turn out differently, not what I was expecting, And in those moments, we can start to nurture and coddle those disappointments. And they become idols in our hearts. And they become so destructive. And so, friends, never, ever underestimate how God will ruthlessly crush our worship of those idols in our own hearts. He will let affliction come into our lives to root out those idols. And that's the second thing that I want you to see from, from this journey in, in Elijah's life. In our deep discouragement and disappointment, God is often at work tearing down idols in our hearts. Oftentimes, 
in those moments, God is working there to rip those idols out because he loves us and idols kill us and he will not stand by and watch that happen. This idol in Elijah's heart was killing him. He wanted to die. And God was not going to be content to leave that there. God was not going to allow that idol to destroy this man he loved. And so, here's what we begin to see. You can go back again and, and, and look at verses 15 and 17 later. But in response to Elijah's request, you know, and Elijah missing the point, God says, okay, here's my response. You're deeply disappointed. Revival hasn't come. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to anoint Hazael. And I want you to anoint Jehu. And I want you to anoint Elisha. Now, up until that moment, Elijah had been pretty much alone in ministry. Been pretty much alone. It had just kind of been him and God. He had his servant, but that, he wasn't really a ministry partner as much as he was somebody kind of taking care of, you know, lunch. Um, but God says to Elijah, Elijah, I'm going to give you a gift of others in ministry now. I'm going to give you a gift of, of bringing some people around you to help you carry the load. I'm going to give you those three, but Elijah, I got 7,000 more. There's 7,000 more who I'm going to unleash in the days ahead to be my witnesses in the northern kingdom. And I'm going to rebuild on, on that foundation. Now, I've heard some people teach on this passage, and I'm, I'm not saying they may not be right. But I've heard people teach on this passage and say, this is, this is God in his anger with Elijah removing his ministry. You know, I, I don't see that happening here. I see God blessing Elijah. I see God tenderly caring for Elijah in bringing him ministry partners. And, and in fact, I believe that that idea goes against the very nature of God himself. Because on that same mountain range, when God met with Moses... And Moses wanted to see the glory of God and wanted to know God intimately. God came and God self-described himself in Exodus chapter 34. Listen, listen to how God describes himself. The Lord passed before him being Moses and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Jesus, when he gave a description of himself in Matthew chapter 11, he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am lowly in heart, and you can find rest for your souls. This is, this is who God the Father described himself, Jesus the Son described himself as. Friends, serving the Lord... It's not a soul-crushing endeavor unless you let that service become an idol. We can turn any good thing. We can turn our families into idols. We can turn our careers into idols. We can turn our education into idols. We can turn financial security into idols. We can turn all kinds of things into idols. And God will not let them stand in our hearts. He will deal with them. And oftentimes it will be in, in our discouragement and our, 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 our disappointment. And it has sent Elijah running into the wilderness wanting to die. But then look at another kindness of God. 1 Kings chapter 19. 
Elijah laid down under a broom tree to sleep. Joe's opinion again. I think basically what Elijah was saying is, I'm laying down. I'm not getting back up. This is it. It's over with. I'm done. I'm out. It's just, I'm out of here. I think he thought he was going to lay down and die. Then it says, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, and when you see behold, I love that word in the Bible. When you see behold, you need to stop and look at what's going on here. There was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. I don't think Elijah, even though this moment, this beautiful moment of an angel coming, I mean, he baked him a cake. Man, a cake. And he brought a chilled bottle of water out into the woods, man, in the wilderness. But it says Elijah laid back down again. I think he was thinking, okay, this was my last meal. You know, this is it. Now I'm going to lay down, I'm going to die. But he did it again. This was God encountering and ministering to the needs of Elijah, the God of Elijah. Sent an angel to say, my friend, he needs some help. Go bake him a cake. And it had to be chocolate. You know, it had to be a chocolate cake. You know. Ooh, had to be a chocolate cake, you know. And it should have been milk, you know, and never mind. Um, he, he, he baked, he baked, and do, you, do you see the tenderness here? God meeting his needs. God coming right into where he's at and dealing with him in tenderness and kindness and then doing it a, all over again when Elijah still hasn't got it. And God through that angel ministers enough strength into Elijah's body to say, okay, I, I want to give you an invitation now. I want you to go a little bit further south. And it tells us it took him 40 days and nights to travel there. I want you to go a lot further south. And I want to meet you in that mountain range where I, where I met with Moses. I want to meet you there. He, he, God extends, come meet with me. You know, Jesus gives that invitation for us to meet with him in our disappointment, in our discouragement, maybe even in our depression. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He closes that thought out by saying, You'll find rest for your souls with me. You can find rest for your souls. See, the ultimate desire in the heart of every believer is to be with God. And God is giving this invitation to Elijah that there would be nothing better. That, that really was the deepest longing of Elijah's heart, even if he didn't know it right now because of the discouragement that he was in. It really was the ultimate desire of everyone who follows God. In 1 Kings 19 verse 11, we, we read these words and he said, this is God speaking, go out and stand on the mountain. And remember, he's in a cave. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind, tore the mountain, broke it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. This great whirlwind. This, this great earthquake, this great fire, and three times we're told, God is not in any of that activity. 
That is not where God's showing up. He's not going to move this way. Now, I don't know if you picked up on that, but that was actually an image, a word picture of what Elijah had been hoping was going to happen in his ministry. He was hoping that fire was going to fall, the earth was going to shake, you know, the wind was going to blow, there was going to be a great revival. And God sends this image. I'm not in that. Elijah, I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to speak in this low whisper. Some translations say a still small voice. That's how I'm going to speak, Elijah. It's not going to be spectacular like the world thinks it's going to come. I'm going to speak differently. And Elijah had to learn this. Look at, look at what happens in verse 12. It says, in a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there was a voice and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You know, in other words, I think God is saying, Elijah, I'm here to meet with you. But the outcomes are not going to be what you thought they were. It's not going to happen the way you had planned. It's not going to be a spectacular work of your, of your earthly ministry. It's not going to happen on your timetable. It's going to come in a still small voice from me, Elijah. It's not going to look impressive in the world's eyes. But Elijah, don't doubt this. I'm going to accomplish my purposes. I'm going to completely accomplish my purposes. My will is going to be done. And God comes to Elijah with this question. He asked him twice. Elijah, in in, in verse uh, 9 and verse 13, Elijah, what are you doing here? God asked him that twice. Now, I don't know what tone you think God used. I I don't know if he changed his tone the first time he asked it and the second time he asked it. I don't imagine personally that God said to Elijah, what are you doing here? I, I don't think that's the way he asked it. I think it was like, Elijah, man, what are you doing here in this place, you know? At this, at this point in, in your life, what, what, what are you doing here? And I think God was trying to move Elijah to think. It, it, I could also, to me, that, that, that question could almost be translated, Elijah, what are you thinking? What, what are you doing here? See, I, I think God wanted Elijah to begin thinking about what was really the most important thing in his heart. What would he truly finally be ultimately satisfied by? Or did he have to have this idol of a fantastic ministry? Or would he be satisfied with God alone? Would God be enough for him? Being with God, meeting with God. And I believe that's what God brought him to the mountain the way he did. Think, Elijah, what are you doing here? What do you really want your life to be about? And ultimately, Elijah really wants his life to be about knowing God. Jesus in John chapter 17, verse verse 3 tells us this. He tells us what real life is, what real and eternal life is. And he says this, that they know you, the one and only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's what the ultimate, the ultimate best for all of us really is. And God's saying, see, Elijah, you kind of lost track of that. You know, you thought you failed in every way. But God, God is saying to Elijah, my, my faithful servant, my faithful child, 
my plans and my purposes through your life and ministry will never fail. They'll, they'll never fall away. He says, it, it's all going towards what I'm doing on the earth. It's all going towards my plan. It's not happening the way you want it, in the timetable that you want it, your expectations. So Elijah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to fall back more in love with me than you are with your ministry. Don't fall in love with your desires, God is saying. Don't, whatever yours are, fall more in love with him. Don't make an idol out of what you want, God says. Worship, worship me. So God says, I want to meet with you here. And this leads me to the third thing that I see uh, out of this, this text, and that's this, and that's the heavenly kindness of God is far greater than our earthly disappointment. The heavenly kindness of God is always far greater than any earthly disappointment. And, and I need to step kind of outside of the message for just a second. It's not really outside of it for me, um, but I want to say this very, very clearly when we're talking about discouragement that leads to depression, especially a clinical level of depression like Elijah was stuck in here. And I want you to hear me say this. Um, it can come to us in many ways. But God's help can also come to us in many ways. God's help may come to you through a counselor or through a doctor or through a medication. You know, we serve a God who is a God of miracle and medicine. He's Lord of all. And the Bible tells me that every good gift comes down from above from a father who doesn't change. And so medications that help people move out of depression can be a gift from God. And I have heard pastors and teachers stand on stages and proclaim that if you take that path, you have a weak faith. Friends, that's foolishness. Then that means somebody who's taking medication for heart disease has weak faith or anything. It's, that's, it's just silly. God comes to you with, through many resources. He will come and deliver you in, in, in many ways. It is part of his great kindness to bless you. God meets you in that point of disappointment and discouragement. And his, his ultimate goal is what the psalmist says, to restore your soul, the whole of your being. That's, that's your body and your mind. Your, your soul encompasses all of that. He wants to restore wholeness to you. And that's what God is doing here. He's meeting Elijah at the death of his disappointment. He's simultaneously rooting out that idol out of his heart. And he is expressing his great kindness to Elijah in all of this. I want to show you how great his kindness is. This is so cool. If you jumped over to 2 Kings and looked in chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Some people would look at this and say this was the day Elijah died. But this is, this is a glorious day for Elijah. Uh, he, he's walking and talking. He's, he's hanging out with that guy he went and anointed, Elisha. And Elijah and Elisha are walking side by side and they're talking. He, Elisha has become kind of his partner in ministry. And verse 11 says this, as they're still went on, they're walking and, and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. The day comes 
forgot to call Elijah home. And Elijah, and I, I can just see God saying to the angel, go get him. Go, go get him. And don't just do it the ordinary way. Go get him. I want you to go get him in a big way. This boy wanted earth, wind, and fire. Man, he wanted, he wanted something rattling and shaking and, and glorious going on. I know his heart. I know what he wanted. Sometimes, friends, God wants to give you the desires of your heart when they have been sanctified by him. And I see him doing this. Remember, this is, Elijah wanted something like that for the nation. And God said, I'm, I'm going to give it to you for yourself. In his grace and mercy, the way that he brings Elijah home, the way that Elijah finished, but he wasn't finished. He really wasn't finished yet. If you jump over into the New Testament to Luke chapter 9, and you come to that moment in time, Jesus has taken a couple of his disciples up on, a, on another mountain. And on that mountain, the Bible tells us in Luke 9 that he is transfigured. In other words, his, his earthly presence now exudes his heavenly glory. And these disciples see him transfigured before their eyes. And he's talking to two other people who are glowing like, you know, like, like Jesus is. And one of them is Moses. Who's the other one? Elijah. Those prominent prophets. Elijah did not get to see the glory of God come miraculously on the northern tribe of Israel in his life. But he got to see Jesus face to face. And Jesus brought about a great revival on several occasions in the northern tribe. Some of you will remember the story about the woman at the well. That was in the north. That was in the northern tribe. And in her village, the whole village came to know Jesus, the Bible tells us. It was a great revival that broke out. And it was built on the foundation of some of the ministry of Elijah because they knew of God. They knew of the living and true God. And so when Jesus came and displayed himself to them, it was built on the foundation that God had used Elijah to plant. After the service, a brother came up to me and said, you know, uh, Moses was not allowed to set foot in the promised land. But where was Moses standing when on the, at the Mount of Transfiguration? He was in the promised land. I can't think of a better way to stand in the promised land than talking with Jesus. You know, if my first adventure in the promised land is going to be with Jesus, it wouldn't get any better than that. And that's the beauty of our God. It won't get any better than being with him in his timing. Even when maybe the way you thought it was going to go and the hope that you have and the, the, you know, you're disappointed in it. He knows your heart better than you know your heart. And he is at work in your disappointments. And he is at work in your discouragements. And his plans and his purposes for all the little things you do to serve him, to love him and to love other people, they're going to be more glorious than you can even ask or imagine. And that's his promise to you. So he wants you to even in those moments of discouragement, and disappointment, and even in seasons of depression, know that he's at work. He may be rooting something out of you to give you something better.
but he will always come with the intent to love you, to move on your life, to show you a greater vision. Let's pray. Lord, we come. We come as people confessing that there have been times that our expectations have become idols in our own hearts that have pulled us away from you. Maybe you're here today and you showed up and you're one of those people battling a great discouragement or a great disappointment right now. You may be even somebody who right now is in a season of clinical depression and you're just, you just feel like you're, you're battling. There may be moments when like Elijah, you have felt like you just wanted to lay down and go to sleep and not wake up. If that's you, God brought you here today so that you could hear him say to you that he's with you and that he's at work and that he's restoring your soul through his kindness and that his plan is being worked out in your life and that maybe, just maybe, that what he's doing is trying to root something out that's killing you. So this is a season of blessing in a strange way. And so I would invite you right now to say to God, the Holy Spirit, who's he's present in this place. Would you say to the Holy Spirit, would you search me and know my heart and see if there is any idol alive in me? Because I want you to root it out. I want... I want your better plan. I want to be like Elijah, to be set free from that and used again and sent back out into life with partners, people who know me and love me and share in my life like you gave to Elijah. I want to see you, God. Show yourself to me like you offered to show Elijah. I want to see you, God. Maybe... Maybe in this moment, if the Holy Spirit shows you a heart idol, maybe before you leave this place today, maybe while we sing in a moment, you're going to want to go to one of the crosses on either side of this room, and there just write out, maybe name your idol or just write the word idol and, and, and put it on the cross and say, Jesus, I, I'm not walking out of here with this in my heart. I want you on my heart. I, I want nothing else. I don't want anything else, God, but you. No one else. Lord, we come as your people. We come needing you. And maybe you're here today, I don't know. Maybe, maybe for the very, very first time, you've been a person in, in a constant battle with discouragement and disappointment, despair, depression. And for the first time, you have, have glimpsed a glimmer of hope God wants to fulfill that hope in Jesus. And all you've got to do is cry out to him. Jesus, I believe. I believe that you came to give me life, to help me know God. I believe. I turned from my, win, my, my, my pursuit, my ways, my purposes. I turned to yours. I turned from my sin to your beauty and glory.
I want you, Jesus, come into my life. Be my God. Be my delight and deliverer now. I come because I want no one else but you, Jesus. Nothing else but you. So, God, we come to worship you with that on our hearts, that we long for nothing else more than you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.